You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome in to episode 18 of the Brutally Honest Sports Podcast. My name is Dan Kurtz, and I'm joined with my co-host, the man, the myth, and always the legend, Aaron Riley. Aaron, big weekend in sports. Obviously, uh, baseball came back. We had some juicy NFL news with the New York Jets and Jamal Adams. saga finally came to an end. Um, but how are, how, how are we, my friend? And uh, looking forward to getting back to two shows this week. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling better. Uh, you know, everything's been going a little bit better lately. And uh, definitely looking forward to sports coming back. But now it's out of, out of nowhere. It's kind of getting derailed for the time being. So I'm excited to talk about it. And, and we'll dive into all the juicy details. Let's get after it. And now for today's topics. All right, my nightmare, folks, has come to an end. Uh, the Jamal Adams versus New York Jets has finally come to an end. The general manager of the New York Jets, Joe Douglas, was able to find a trade partner in the Seattle Seahawks and officially dealt Adams on Saturday afternoon. In terms of the deal, were Jamal Adams and a 2022 fourth-round pick to Seattle for a 2021 first-round pick, a 2021 third-round pick, a 2022 first-round pick, and strong safety Bradley McDougal. Uh, this, of course, comes on the heels of his public trade request uh, from a few months back. Aaron and I had detailed the ins and outs and the behind-the-scenes of that request a few shows back, but uh, we'll get into the timeline of events here as a recap before we get to our thoughts and analysis on the deal. But uh, uh, there were a few tidbits of Jamal Adams' comments to the media about the organization on Friday, uh, the day before he was dealt. So we'll get into all of that right now. Um, I'm just going to go a little bit in depth here just from sort of a start to finish, sort of bird's eye view of the Jamal Adams' career and then the timeline of uh, sort of the last five months when he had, had tweeted that he wanted to be a Jet for life back in January. So – uh, Aaron, feel free to stop me along the way if I get uh, too long-winded. Don't be afraid to, to pull the reins back. But uh, <laughs> I'm just going to get going. Um, so to go back to the beginning here, uh, Jamal Adams was drafted to be the leader of this team in the face of this organization. He came in at a time when the organization was in full rebuild mode. Uh, Mike McCagnan, who was the GM, and Todd Bowles, who, were the, who was the coach at the time, had swung for the fences and missed uh, by signing a shit ton of free agents in 2015. Uh, so by 2017, when Adams fell to the Jets with the sixth pick, uh, the franchise was starving for someone to come in and be a star. Uh, by all counts, everything started out on the right foot. Uh, Jamal seemed to have an infectious and winning personality. The fans immediately fell in love with him because he wanted to turn the ship around and set everything back in the right direction. Uh, the team was obviously losing. Uh, it's really not new with the Jets, but with 
Josh McCown, Bryce Petty, and Christian Hackenberg as your quarterbacks. I wouldn't expect to win too many games. Um, shout out to your guy Hackenberg there, Aaron. Um, <laughs> flash forward to, to after his second year in the league, uh, this is around the time when he had just been named to his first Pro Bowl and has received his first All-Pro nomination. He's starting to get a little bit of notoriety, uh, a little bit more vocal in the media, starting to gain some recognition among his peers. Uh, around this time as well, the Jets had a fuck ton of cap space. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm talking the most cap space out of any team in the league. Uh, so Jamal Adams looks at that, comes out in the media and says he wants general manager uh, Mike McCagney at the time to go out and get some quote-unquote dogs for the team. So by saying that, it might seem like, a, like an inconspicuous comment, but by saying the by saying that, he's, he's kind of saying the team's full of scrubs and probably pressure on the team and the GM to make some moves to get this organization back to being somewhat competitive. Uh, so if I'm taking a step back here as a fan and looking at this from a bird's eye view, this might have been the first time where I was like, maybe this dude does have a bit of an issue. Maybe he isn't the best guy to be – best guy to have around in the, in the locker room or, or to lead this team. But at the end of the day, I end up shrugging it off because, you know, he's – He's kind of right. You know, the team did suck at the time, and the good players we had at that time did deserve better. So we, we sort of swept that under the rug and, and moved on as a, as a fan base. So um, we moved to the beginning of last season, his third year in the league. He now is a new coach in Adam Gase, a new GM in Joe Douglas, and things seem to be heading in the right direction in, in Jersey for the first time in a while. Things uh, seem to be positive, uh, I should say. You know, when we're talking about the culture within the organization seemed to starting off on the right foot. And then, of course, my boy, my guy, Sam Darnold, gets mono. And the Jets are out to a 1-7 start in the blink of an eye. Uh, behind the scenes, Adams is pretty furious. Uh, there was that one game when they were playing the Jaguars, I believe, where he ripped the team um, at halftime. And I don't think that sat well with players, including Le'Veon Bell, who we'll get to in a minute uh, from his comments over the weekend. But I can't really fault him for that because kind of all he wants to do is win. But I, I guess I can't really – you know, sit well with, with the ripping your teammates when, you know, you're kind of with the, with the team on the field doing the same thing. So around this time as well, the, the trade deadline rolled around and, and, you know, the worst franchise in all of sports, the Dallas Cowboys, had leaked it. <laughs> yeah, we're shopping Jamal at the trade deadline. Um, since Adams is quite active on social media and, of course, caught wind of, of this and famously tweeted that the Rams don't take calls on Aaron Donald. And the Patriots don't take calls regarding Tom Brady, so why would the Jets take calls um, regarding Jamal Adams? Um, I hate to break it to you, Jamal. Brady is not on the Patriots anymore, and I'm sure if the Rams receive the right deal, they'd probably trade Aaron Donald, but that's a topic for a different day. So at this time, things are pretty tense here with Jamal, and, and probably this time could be looked at as the beginning of the end um, for his, his tenure with the Jets. But nonetheless, he plays out the rest of the regular season as the team finishes 6-2 and two in the last eight games. And – all seems to be forgiven uh, because in January of this year, January 2020, Adams tweets out he wants to be a Jet for life, and the team at the time held the same sentiment. Um, so as Adams finished his third year in the league and was named to his second Pro Bowl and named uh, to his second All-Pro team, he was looking to secure the bag, as the kids say. He was looking to get paid and was looking to get paid a whole lot. So the Jets are, of course, in the business of keeping their best players and had every intention of signing Adams to a long-term extension, but Obviously, as everybody knows, in 2020, we have the coronavirus causing a global pandemic, uh, which in turn caused uncertainty relating to the future of the cap in the NFL. It's been reported at one point that the cap may go down uh, upwards of at least $50 million. So if I'm a GM, why would I 
sign a safety um, to a $17 million a year extension when they have no clue what the cap is going to look like in 2021, 2022, and, and beyond. Um, so anyway, the, the, the fun started to begin after that on June 18th, Jamal Adams with a very public trade request, um, which we documented a few shows back. Flash forward to last Friday, he leaked to the New York Daily News that he was very unhappy with Adam Gase as a head coach and a leader. Um, then he called the GM a liar, which uh, obviously is a great way to get yourself traded and basically ripped the entire organization to shreds. So um, this guy basically tweeted his way out of New Jersey because he wanted to throw a He realized he wasn't going to get his money right away. Um, and that was my Jamal Adams career recap in the last, you know, four to five minutes. And I, I'd say I'm pretty happy that he's out of the locker room. I think, um, you know, when you have a guy who's going to disrupt and be a cancer, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, then I think you're better off without him. And, um, Aaron, what, what was your reaction to the trade? And, and I guess what was your reaction to sort of the synopsis and the timeline I just gave regarding um, him and his tenure with the Jets so far? Yeah, of course. Uh, I got to tip my hat to you. I think that was a great synopsis. I think, you know, you summarizing it uh, as far as, uh, you know, being being kind of happy that he's out of the locker room, he's out of the organization, uh, no longer a cancer or, or a problem. I think that's that's a perfect way to look at it. I know uh, Dan, Daniel and I, we definitely texted off the off the air when this went down on Saturday. I was actually at work when, when I saw it pop up. Um, one of those things where I think, you know, just coming from my viewpoint, uh, you know, I didn't follow him, you know, to a T like, like my boy Daniel, but I think, uh, I think it's a good move for, for at least the Jets. I'm not going to say Seattle yet because it all depends on, you know, if he can act – at least civil with, with everyone in the Seattle, excuse me, Seattle uh, organization. Uh, I think, you know, they're, they are a better team obviously at this point. So, you know, maybe being a little bit more consistent that that might bode better with him going forward. But I just think he, he expected kind of too much too early. Um, You know, he's, he's a fairly young player. What, like 24, 25, 23, something like that. Yeah. 24. Yeah, so, you know, uh, he's only been in the league, what, three years, you said, two, two Pro Bowls to speak of. So, yeah. obviously not a, not a scrub by any means. Uh, you know, one of the better better safeties in this game. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I just look at it once again. I, I kind of went back to the same point that I talked about before on this is, you know, the, the players do need to show, I think, in my opinion, at least a little bit more gratitude and – and things like of that nature towards the organization that drafted them. Cause you know, it just doesn't seem like there's much loyalty left. Um, you know, when, when they start seeing other players get huge contracts, they expect, you know, the same type of deal immediately to happen and immediately to fall in their lap. And, you know, whenever a player rips a team, um, you know, publicly, I just think that's, if I'm running a team, I gotta, I gotta get that guy out of there immediately. Cause that, that type of behavior and that type of, you know, mindset just can't can't continue in in the locker room, and I think the Jets wanted first two first round picks, and that's exactly what they got. So uh, I think they did the right thing by pulling the trigger, and, and hopefully those draft picks pan out uh, in the years to come for them. Yeah, well, and we'll get into the the exact details of the trade, and and I guess sort of how it plays out for either team in a second here. But you just mentioned how you know players like Antonio Brown, players like Jamal Adams can basically tweet their way. Um, out of an organization if they happen to be unhappy. Do, do you think this um, sort of me first mentality has been a precedent that's been brewing for a while now? And um, do you think this establishes a precedent 
not even just for the New York Jets moving forward, but for the entire NFL. And I guess you could you could draw comparisons to the NBA and, and probably all the way back to 2010 when LeBron um, had that decision, um, you know, obviously taking his talents to South Beach. Maybe you can draw comparisons to where this sort of player movement, player first mentality started. But do you think this, you know, will, will cause other players who are maybe unhappy um, and want to get paid, maybe unhappy with the losing that you know, they want to get out of Dodge pretty quick and all I have to do is, is send out a couple tweets? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, I think Antonio Brown kind of started the the whole bashing of an organization, you know, publicly I mean I remember T.O. doing it to a certain extent but uh, Twitter has really been the, the main avenue for these guys you know the, the last couple of years and and you're starting to see the, the rep for you know to me you know just summarizing that is I just think you got to sit down with the general manager you got to sit down with the coach you got to at least you know put your issues forward uh, I don't think you know just going on social media and blasting an organization or blasting you know, a teammate or, or whatever it might be. I just think that's extremely unprofessional no matter what, you know, whatever job title you, you have, even if that is a professional athlete, I think if you don't want to be in an organization, why, why is it always you got to put it all over social media and, and rip them apart and, and things of that nature? I think you should at least handle that inside the, inside the confines of your organization. And I just, I don't understand why, you know, everybody has to take to social media and, and almost it's almost like they're clout chasing from the perspective of they want people to recognize, you know, almost feel bad for them or, or, or something like that. It just doesn't doesn't bode well with me. It doesn't make much sense. And and I know if, if anybody in the Eagles did that, I'd, I'd want them out of there immediately. I just think that's it's just uh, not a very professional way of going about things. I, I think that Jamal Adams thinks that like he's like the second coming of Jesus Christ. I, I, I just think, like, he thinks that people care that, like, he t- – like, when he tweets, it's like – like, you're, you're a safety who doesn't pick off the football, who doesn't play in coverage, who's basically a box safety who, yeah, gets a lot of sacks and, like, yells yells loud in the field and talks a lot and, like you said, clout chases on social media. But, like, at the end of the day, you don't play a premium position and then – the team was 16 and 32 with you on the roster. So how, how much of a, a, a factor were you in, in a team's success the past three years? Obviously there, he doesn't play offense. Like there's two sides of the football, obviously three phases of the game. You can't really put on one player, but like, if you were, the, if you were that good of a player, like, you, you know, the Jets would have kept you and, and would have paid you, bro. You're not Patrick Mahomes. You're not Christian McCaffrey. You're not Aaron Donald. I don't like understand like why the, why you think that you deserve to be paid like one of those guys. But um, – and he, it even goes back to, I think, just his mentality. And Aaron and I were talking about this a little bit ago off air. He, he had tweeted this morning he was supposed to go on a flight to Seattle to obviously get tested for COVID before he can report to training camp tomorrow and then take a physical. The, the Seahawks reportedly put him on a 7 a.m. flight. And the first thing he tweets out is, Seattle, I love you guys, but why are you putting me on a 7 a.m. flight? And it's just sort of, sort of stuff like that the – me first mentality where, you know, I'm thinking to myself, if I'm a Seattle Seahawks fan and I see this guy's tweet from 7 a.m. the day after you're traded, what, what, what does that make me think, you know, when you're coming to this organization? Do I think that you're going to be a leader? Probably not. Do I think that you're probably going to be a head case and, and potentially a cancer teammate in this locker room? Probably. So it, I think it's just the – he is such an ego 
that I'm surprised they even fit on the plane to go to Seattle. He he has such a large ego that I don't I can't fathom how highly he thinks of himself and for basically no reason. He's a great player. Obviously, I mentioned the two All Pro nominations, the two Pro Bowls. He's the best player on the Jets. I, you know, that stuff is it doesn't even need to be said at this point. It's just the me first mentality is what's mind boggling to me, especially in the face of a pandemic when hundreds of millions of Americans are are suffering financially, mentally physically all of the above over the past five or six months and a vision of about, you know, not being more of a millionaire than you already are. Yeah, I don't know. And I'm not going to speculate what, what type of childhood he had. Um, you know, his dad, his dad played in the NFL. His dad was a first round draft pick. Okay. So financially they didn't, I'm sure they didn't have any hardships. They weren't at risk. I'll say that. Yeah. So um, yeah, you, you would know that better. You know, you, you followed his career a lot better than I am. I'm just kind of, looking at it from, you know, an NFL fan and, and a perspective of, you know, just character. I think a lot of these guys have just lost the whole loyalty and, and character towards an organization. And this is just another example of that. It When when you told me about that, when you brought up the tweet, uh, very much reminded me of Antonio Brown, just, you know, bitching about Pittsburgh and then bitching about the Raiders as soon as he gets to the Raiders. Uh, you know, once it becomes – you know, may, maybe one organization does you wrong, or, or think, or the player thinks that they, the organization has done them wrong. Then you know that's that's one thing. But even even then, I don't I don't advocate for blasting them on social media. I think that's extremely immature and, and childish. But right. uh, when when then then you told me that he he kind of took a shot. At, I mean, a, a little shot, but a, a shot all intended at uh, Seattle for you know basically bitching about you know, a, a flight that's early. It's like, come on, man. Like you're getting paid millions of dollars. You're, you're, you, you forced yourself out of a situation you didn't want to be in anymore. And then the, you know, you get off, off to me, that's, that's getting off on the wrong foot you know, on another right. organization before you even get there. So, uh, you know, obviously just from my perspective, I think he's extremely selfish and I would not be surprised if, you know, he doesn't finish his career in Seattle. Let's say, I don't know if he can, mentally um you know accept that he's not the face of of the organization and not the you know russell wilson is is going to be the guy there no matter what and you know if, if he has to play second fiddle or third fiddle i don't know how he'll do with that but it'll it'll play out the way it's going to play out but i i just think you know extremely selfish player from from what i can tell and you know he might be uh disruption going forward for them yeah i, I just yeah like I said before, if, if a guy like that is going to be in your locker room and, and be disruptive to the team chemistry, just get him out of my get him out of my organization ten times out of ten times. But we did have a couple of interesting tweets before we get into the exact details of the trade from Le'Veon Bell, obviously running back of the Jets. Uh, when I mentioned in my little synopsis earlier, um, Jamal Adams wanted to get quote unquote dogs into the building. Um, he recruited you know publicly heavily and lobbied for Le'Veon Bell to join the organization. Uh, Bell obviously signed a contract with the Jets and played out his first season last year. But um, on Saturday, Bell tweeted out, people do all the hooting and hollering to get you brought in just to leave. Well, like people, weird, yo. The internet got these dudes doing whatever for attention. Even when they tell you shit, they don't believe themselves. Um, so I think that, you know, pretty much lays it out pretty well. And, and just the fact that he's bringing this to a public forum, uh, I think just spells out how unhappy, uh, you know, him and his teammates were with Jamal Adams and you guys might be thinking that 
you know, oh my God, Le'Veon Bell sat out a year because he didn't want to get paid and then left him free agency. Like, he's such a hypocrite. Why is he saying this? Uh, yeah, maybe, but like, he, he was a model citizen in the locker room last year. He was really helpful with Sam and helping him learn the offense, uh, helpful in the running backs room and just the off- with the offensive line as well. He had a rough season statistically. Um, obviously, the entire team did, but um, he remained positive in the media, publicly, privately, and you know, was a great teammate. So I, I think it's not the Le'Veon Bell of Pittsburgh from a couple of years ago. I think it's, it's a mature Le'Veon Bell. And um, Adams responded to that tweet, noted, see week 14 because the you know the Jets and uh, Seahawks play each other week 14 and then Bell responds to that in quotes noted what lol that you lied please trust that it is noted then and if I'm supposed to take see you in week 14 as a threat I don't but it's still all love and like I told you on the phone I want the best for you if this is the best for you I want it for you bro so Le'Veon Bell um, not really doubling down on his comments per se but taking the high road and saying he wants the best for Jamal Adams so I just think I'd rather ride with a guy like Le'Veon Bell in that situation than, than a guy like Jamal. But, uh, you know, that's just me. Yeah. No, I, I, that's kind of surprising because of the way. There's two sides of the coin on, on the Le'Veon Bell, uh, the Pittsburgh situation, how they kept tagging him every season. You know, in, in some aspects, I think he kind of deserved the payday. And then, you know, you got look at it from Pittsburgh's perspective. They were, I think they played it out kind of smart as well because they didn't, you know, shaw out all that cash and then, him to, to plummet and, and not play as well. So that's really besides the point. But uh, the reason I brought that up was because a lot of people looked at Le'Veon Bell for being a cancer for basically sitting out a, an entire season. Um, but, you know, in in that, you know, little excerpt you, you shared there, I, I definitely take Le'Veon Bell's side. I think, you know, he took the high road in the end and, and said the right things. Um, I just think, you know, once again, I just think so much is brought up over Twitter. It's just funny to me. It's like, you know, the, how much how much do these guys have to discuss over Twitter? Why don't they just text each other? Like, why is everything so public? But, um, you know, it, it's funny. I, so, I hope, you know, for, for the Jets' sake and I hope for Le'Veon Bell's sake, he just runs over Jamal Adams when they when they give him the ball and, uh, you know, when they play each other. That would be appointment television. I'll probably be gymming about that exact moment for the next 14 weeks. Uh, yeah, I guess whatever it is they uh, – actually start up the season but you know I think under these circumstances when you trade away the best player obviously it's you know you're going to take a step back and obviously the defense is going to take a little bit of a step back but I think under these circumstances it was a pretty good trade for the Jets you know not only did they unload a me first player whose attitude threatened the locker room chemistry but they parlayed Adams into one of the richest NFL halls in recent years um package that includes two first round picks for a safety uh for a safety who doesn't intercept the ball for a safety who wants to be paid like a pass rusher and somehow the, the GM was able to extract a quarterback type return from the Seahawks who they, but also acquiring a third round pick and then a safety Bradley McDougal what I think when when Adams first had his you know public training on June 18th a lot of people were like well there's no way the Jets can get better um if they don't get a player in return so they do get a a middle of the road safety in, in Bradley McDougald. Obviously he's not going to be up to Adams, you know, caliber, but he can come in and start right away. And on top of that, they get, you know, two first round picks and a third. So um, if you consider that, um, you know, he was traded for two first round picks it only happened three times in recent years with Jalen Ramsey back in 2019, uh, Laramie Tunsil back in 2019 and then Khalil Mack in 2018. But 
all three of those guys play premium positions and you know Adams is a strong safety and really not that's really not considered a premium position quote unquote when it comes to um, today's NFLs uh, in, in today's day and age so when, when he realized it wasn't going to happen an extension wasn't going to happen he behaved like a spoiled teenager and you know took took the social media to rip the organization so uh, I think the Jets ultimately took the high road as the organization they were patient um, they weren't going to take the first offer that jumped out to them they um, you know, I think it was a masterclass in negotiation by Joe Douglas, the GM, to, to wait out the Seahawks. And the Seahawks have, you know, famously had decent defensive backs and, and sort of like a secondary room with Earl Thomas, um, Cam Chancellor, uh, Richard Sherman, guys like that. So I think they really run their defense based off of strong safeties and, and corners. So to have a guy like Adams in the building, it, it kind of makes sense. And they also tend to trade away their first round picks year after year. Uh, so I do think the trade works out for both sides. but to get two first round picks, um, it sets up the Jets well to kind of rebuild on the fly. And I hate to say this as a, as a Sam Darnold fan, but let's say in a, in a, you know, worst case scenario, he doesn't turn out to be the franchise quarterback. We do have the draft capital now to go ahead and trade up for a guy like Trevor Lawrence or a guy like Justin Fields next year or whoever comes out in 2022. So I think they, they have, obviously they have a lot of, a lot of picks and to be an effective football team, you have to hit on those draft picks. But um, I, I do, I do think they're in a better situation than they were before the trade happened. Yeah. I'm with you. When, when I texted you on Saturday, um, I think the Jets made out as good as they, as they really wanted to. And as they could have, I don't see, you know, I don't, you know, as far as, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you you know you bring up an interesting point. I think if if they really want to, they could go after like a Trevor Lawrence or or a Justin Fields. I think uh, you know the, it just gives them more flexibility. You know, you can kind of get. Uh, I don't know about the the caliber of the player that they got from Seattle, but uh, those two first round picks. You know, you could you could definitely make those uh, make an effective use out of both of those. So. Yeah, if one of those guys pans out and, and plays for your team for years to come, I think it's worth it because, you know, you, you got rid of a guy that was a problem and, you know, he's still young in his career. You never know. He might, you know, that, that might be his ceiling the way he's playing now, which obviously, you know, you'll take that any day of the week, but uh, you could, you could pan out, you know, a better, a better move here in the years to come with, with one of the players they select or, or if they would move up and get a QB or, or whatever. So I'd be happy as a Jets fan. I think they did the right thing. And, and I, and I do ultimately hope it pans out for them because whenever a player burns an organization, I kind of root for the organization more than that player, in my opinion. Are you surprised that I'm remotely bringing up the fact that Darnold might not be the franchise guy? Yeah, that, that kind of threw me for a loop. I know you're a, you're a big <laughs> Sam Darnold guy. I, I definitely am, I'm on the record for not being as, as big a supporter as him. As you, but but you definitely watch him more than me, so um, you know I'll, I'll take your word for it. But um, you know we'll we'll see. I mean, I don't think you'd be against the idea if they got like a Trevor Lawrence. I sure wouldn't be. But no, I, no, I mean I, I think Darnold has plays where where he flashes, where it's like this guy could be the next Aaron Rodgers, but he also has plays where it's like. Am I watching Jared Goff? Like it, it's just, like, <laughs> so I think like that sort of, or Derek Carr, I guess to put it. Even, no, I'm just. Oh, 
He's definitely not that bad. Uh, I would say that's sort of like the spectrum he runs. And I think the name of the game for him this year is consistency. Uh, he, he's been wildly inconsistent at times. And from, from like what I've read, Adam Gase's offense is one of the hardest offenses to run like in the league. And he has plays where he scrambles and gets out of the pocket and makes like a 15 yard conversion. And like, he looks like the best quarterback in the world, but if he's, you know, facing a first and 10 with, you know, three wide receivers open, but they're running like complex routes and the blitz scheme is pretty complex and hard to like read the packages and what's coming at him, then he kind of struggles. So when he's like off script on the move, gets outside the tackles, he's a better player. So if he can clean up the inside the pocket under center type, you know, normal paint manning, like what he thrived in when he was on the Colts, like that sort of type of style, then I think he'll be an effective quarterback. So this year, I think is definitely the tipping point. A lot of people in the media were expecting a breakout season from him last year, but going into a new system with offensive lines center with a whole new offensive staff didn't really bode well for a breakout season. So if I'm going to predict a breakout year, it's probably going to be this year, maybe the second half of the year he does well. So, you know, if, if they find out they go, you know, five and 11 and, and Darnold throws for 3,500 yards and 20 touchdowns, is that enough to take him into his fourth year? Probably not. If, if he throws for 4,500 yards and, and 30 touchdowns, maybe that is enough to bring him back or not draft the quarterback. So if I'm looking at the two first round picks they have, I'm going to go out on a limb and say the Jets are probably finishing um, in the bottom 10 of the league. So maybe they have a top 10 pick and Seattle probably picks around 21, 22. That would be enough to package up to, to get into the, the first, I would say three or four picks to get a guy like Justin Fields. And, you know, is a guy like that better than Darnold? I don't know. I haven't really seen much tape on Justin Fields and Darnold's still really young. So I think over the next year, they'll probably take stock of, I mean, and if we don't have a college football season, I think that just complicates the issue even further, but uh, Douglas has <laughs> been a guy who's been patient so far in his year plus in that GM chair. And I don't think he's going to make a rash decision. Uh, the organization I will say loves Darnold. He's a great relationship with Gase has a great relationship with um, the offensive staff as a whole, Le'Veon Bell and the receiver. So um, I think the chemistry is there on the offensive side. I just think he needs more playmakers. I, for one, um, am a, am a, I'm a proponent of, of them packaging that first round pick that they have to get a receiver, um, sort of like the Bills did to get digs. Obviously, Kyler Murray now has DeAndre Hopkins down in um, Arizona. So if they can get a guy – you know, maybe like a Juju Schuster um, to go with Denzel Mims, Chris Herndon, and Jameson Crowder in that new offensive line. I think that would be pretty beneficial. And I think that, that would give them, you know, just another dynamic playmaker added into the fold. So there, there's so many options with picks. And I think the best thing to have if you're a GM is options. And, um, you know, I would love to see Darnold play his entire 15-year-plus career under the Jets and have a successful one. But – um, I'm also not naive to think that he might not be the guy. So time will tell is, is what I'm trying to say with that. Yeah, no, I think, I think you did a great, great analysis on that. I, I, the, you know, the few times I've seen him play, let, let's just say I'm not impressed. I'm not, I'm not going to bash the guy. I'm mean, that's by no means. Um, I think it's tough. You know, you, you put a quarterback on any, I'll say bottom tier team, just in general, like they walk into a situation like, like Baker did in Cleveland, like, um, you know, Kyler Murray did in Arizona. I think it's it's extremely tough to ask, you know, for them to, to turn the situation, right. you know, around on a dime. But I just think that's that's extremely tough in a, in a league that's so competitive. And even when I, I've seen some bad teams play some bad teams, it, you know, it, it's still 
to 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 get a win in the NFL week to week is not a small task. So I'm not gonna bash the guy. I just I haven't seen enough as far as when I've seen him play for me to be convinced that you know this is the guy. Um, you know, I kind of felt that way in, in Wentz's first year, uh, but by by year two or three, you know, I, I had a lot more faith in him, obviously, just because he was having kind of breakout seasons. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I didn't, you know, I, I'm not a very patient sports fan. If something isn't working, I kind of want to change it immediately. And I know that's not always the, the right way to go about things. But I think I think back to your point, this is a huge season for him. I, I won't. I won't throw last season all on him because, you know, he missed, what, how many weeks with the mono? Yeah, um, five or six. Yeah, so that, that's that's always tough. You come back into the mix. Even when even when Mahomes came back after his, uh, I believe it was a leg injury or something like that, Yeah. Um, he he wasn't Mahomes for a couple of weeks. So um, that's always tough. I think if, if Darnold can stay healthy and, and, you know, if he plays pretty consistent, then maybe that's your guy going forward. But – uh, we talk about it all the time how the NFL is a, a not for long league. So if he if he would struggle this season and, and play most of the games, I think you just you got to go a different direction because what you're doing isn't working. And and go and go with a maybe maybe a draft pick. Maybe you go out and try and trade for somebody. Um, but I, more so, they they'd probably lean towards the draft. Um, so I just think this season is is really it's make or break for him. Um, at this point in the, in the organization. Yeah, that was a good, uh, that was a good 30 minute chuck on the jets here. So we'll move on folks. Um, just final, final thoughts here. I, I think, um, it's, it's more make or break for Adam Gase. So, you know, if, if Gase only wins five or six games, like do they bring him back, probably not. And then it's, it, you know, you're thinking about, does that next coach who comes in want to have Sam Darnold as, as his quarterback or would he want to package those two picks to get a QB? So, I, I guess in the, in that sense, it is make or break for both of them. But I think Donald and Gase are probably tied to each other moving forward. So um, that's that sort of wraps up the Jets and, and Jamal Adams talk. And thanks to Aaron for uh, divulging me and, and wanted to chat about that. We don't get to chat Jets too too often um, since they are pretty irrelevant. But uh, I feel like that news sort of um, dominated the NFL landscape at least for for the weekend. All right, getting back into a little MLB talk. Um, I think we left off last week just chatting about opening night uh, when the Yankees took on the Nationals. But uh, from all accounts, it was a successful opening weekend um, for baseball. I think TV coverage was at an all-time high. Uh, TV coverage for the Yankees-Nationals game was well over 4 million, 5 million viewers, I think, which um, it, I think it was the most watched regular season game in a few years, which uh, is, is pretty impressive. And I, I, honestly, I can't say I'm surprised since it's the, the first of the four major sports uh, to really come back. But um, we got news Monday morning um, that about 15 um, players slash personnel from the Miami Marlins organization tested positive for coronavirus. Um, obviously not good, obviously uh, really bad and, and might get worse. Uh, I, I think um, – you know, a lot of people in this country, their first priority is themselves. And, and a lot of people can't be bothered with um, compassion um, and, and really don't see the virus as a threat. But um, this is sort of the world that Major League Baseball has sort of rolled its operation into. So if you sign up for baseball in the summer of 2020 for an escape from reality, uh, you sign up for the total package, which includes, you know, fathers, husbands, sons, brothers, friends, 
holed up in hotel room after hotel room, 1200 miles from home with, you know, 40 to 50 to 60 people traveling um, per team um, while, while supposedly wearing masks, gloves, whatever. Um, the Marlins were, were tested for Corona on Monday after a bunch of people um, exhibited, uh, I think it was four people exhibited um, symptoms of tested positive over the weekend. Um, so it, it was found that, you know, it grew to about 15 people and then um, one flight had, had been canceled for them and then another flight had been, had been put, postponed again as well. But um, they're supposed to play um, in Philly today. Or, I'm sorry, they, they came from Philly this past weekend. It, it was found that the virus was in their visiting clubhouse. The Yankees uh, were supposed to play in Philly, so that game got postponed. And then uh, the game between the Marlins and Orioles on Monday night was postponed. So um, not what, what we uh, would have wanted to see in the first weekend back from baseball. I, I think uh, it might have been inevitable. And I think the NFL, too, is, is probably looking at this with a close eye and monitoring the situation uh, pretty closely. So... Um, what, are, what are your thoughts on this? And, and Aaron, did, did you think this was going to happen um, sooner rather than later? Or, or were, you, were you thinking that the MLB sort of had everything figured out and um, it was going to be smooth sailing right from when they uh, threw the first pitch on Thursday? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, I think, you know, maybe I was, I was just being naive and, and kind of turning my, turning my, my, basically my eye to all this because I, I just figured once the season began, I, I, I thought, you know, we would get away from this. You know, I, I was actually more excited to watch baseball than ever. Um, just, you know, in the past couple of years, my team has been awful. So I haven't watched a, a ton until the, until the playoffs start. But I was just excited to see it back. You know, I thought, you know, maybe I was just being naive and, and thought, you know, this distract everyone from, from COVID. It'll, everything will be okay. I, you know, I think because baseball isn't exactly – you know, in the way that, that it's played where, where football, everyone's lined up direct, you know, super close together and, and in each other's face and things. I thought, you know, maybe you know, we, we would just get a regular season, a, a postseason and a World Series and just kind of, you know, a player would test positive here and there, but it wouldn't, you know, games wouldn't be delayed, games wouldn't be postponed or obstructed in any way. And, you know, we get through one weekend and then boom, Monday morning rolls around and, I'm scrolling through my phone here, you know, here and there at work just to see what's going on in the sports world. And I see, you know, of all of all games, the one game I did want to see uh, my Baltimore Orioles play or at least see the result of. And, and I see that the Marlins have tested positive. So that that kind of makes me a little bit worried for the Phillies then in the same token, because they just played them over the weekend. So right. you got you to think that they're they're all handling the baseball. They're all. Um, you know, coming in close contact with each other and, and things of that nature. You got to think some of the Phillies have it now. And then hopefully the, they don't pass it on to the Yankees, that, you know, in any aspect, just because uh, now they're coming into a series with them. So we got to, like, like Fauci would say, we got to slow the spread. Um, we got to <laughs> postpone. I guess you got to postpone the game. That only makes sense. I mean, it absolutely sucks. But uh, I hope this doesn't. Uh, you know, have any other fallout, and I hope that we can go forward with this. But you got to think that MLB is scrambling, the Miami Marlins are scrambling, the Phillies, the the Yankees, the Orioles, all all the teams that, that kind of got impacted by this. Now they kind of have to think things through a little bit more so, um, just because I guess they're going to have to pull different players, and and I don't know if like this will this will bring a lot of people up from AAA just to 
to play the games to get the games in, or I don't know how they're going to do this, or they didn't really indicate when they're going to start either one of these series that have been postponed. So I was thankful to, to see baseball over the weekend, but uh, obviously didn't last too, too long. If, if we're getting into the, the fourth game of the season, now there's a problem already. So. Yeah, I think with the, the Phillies and Yankees, just talking about them, like the first two games of the series were Monday and Tuesday, and then the next two were scheduled for Wednesday and Thursday at Yankee Stadium. The first two were in Philly. So I feel like they could just go back to Yankee Stadium and play three or four games and, and maybe reschedule one at a later date. But um, because then, cause then they were supposed to play on the 31st versus the Red Sox, and then maybe – um, and then they have off on that Saturday, so maybe they play again on Saturday. But it, it'd be tough with the Marlins and Orioles. Obviously, they're a little bit further away geographically. Um, and, and it was it came out that four players had tested positive on Saturday, and then um, test results hadn't come back until um, Monday, and they decided to play, go forward with the game yesterday, which is a little bit confusing to me, um, which further begs the question, why did – MLB not do a bubble model. Like, are you are you surprised that they didn't follow the NHL and NBA and um, move the entire league to a bubble, or, or were you like, sort of sort of on the league side where where they just were, were going to play and travel sort of not as normal, but you know this modified travel schedule, I guess, and and not do a, a bubble setting. Yeah, I think uh, you know when we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, I, I was under the impression that uh, it only made sense to play under a bubble, and then you know. Fast forward a couple of weeks later, the season starts in, in, in an aspect where I, obviously they're going to be playing teams that it's kind of weird, you know, to, to look at the schedule. I guess they, they are they are playing teams that are closer in geographic distance more often. Uh, obviously, if, you know, the, the AL East plays the NL East, that type of thing. But in, in the same token, um, you know, like, like you brought up the point of, you know, you have 50, 60 people getting on a a plane and things of that nature. You're still like, I know I'm looking at the, the game stats tonight for Milwaukee and Pittsburgh, you know, Milwaukee's in the Midwest. So that team has to get on a plane from the Midwest and then fly to the, to the Northeast to, to play in Pittsburgh. That, that just kind of begs the question, why are they, why are they doing that? These teams can all play. Uh, they, you know, they could have had a setup where they're all playing in Arizona or they're all playing in Florida or, or, so, you know, either, we can make use of, of both of those sites. So I, I just, the more and more I tend to look at this, the more I, I look at it, like they kind of rushed into this and uh, you know, obviously it's, it's a problem. Um, I don't know if Florida even is the right place to play right now, just because if you, if you believe what the media says and, and everything like that, that, that Florida is a, is a hot spot still for, uh, for COVID-19. So um, to me, I think they, they should have, played in a neutral site now that you know you see all these problems but I just I guess I was extremely naive I, I was just like, so excited to see it back that I didn't really think that this was going to happen especially this early I mean it, we're only four games in and, and now we have issues so uh, you know looking at it from that perspective I think we they should have had a neutral site and uh, at least you know one one or two states not they can't be flying all over the country and and potentially spreading this you know, to other people in airports and, and to other teams and, and players. And, you know, and there's just a, a huge fallout from this because it, it's one of those things that everyone says it spreads, you know, pretty quickly. So yeah. you, you got to think some of the Phillies have it. That's just, in my opinion, that. Yeah. That it, it sucks because like there are a couple of people in the Phillies and 
a couple a couple of players around the league, like D. Gregorius, who's their shortstop, who played for the Yankees the past few years. Like he wears a mask because he has an autoimmune disease, and and if someone like that gets a coronavirus, that could cause irreparable damage to his immune system, his lungs, his health moving forward. So I just think like to, to be careless and, and, you know, four guys test positive on Saturday, why, why are they even playing on Sunday? I think it's just naive and, and you use that word, I think pretty well that to think that this is all going to work out. And it seems to me that they're, they're start the MLB as a whole is starting to sweep things under the rug and then they're just snowballing and compounding into bigger problems. And, and I feel like this might be an example where, you know, they might play tomorrow or they might play on Wednesday and, and everyone else is going to forget about it, but it might pop up next week or the week after, the week after that. And we might be running into more and more teams who are going to be, you know, unwilling to, to like call it just because they want to play the season. But at the end of the day, I think the players and, and the team personnel and the organizational safety is more important than playing a season. And I just think, I don't think the commissioner's office and the MLB officials really have that sentiment or, or mindset currently. So, you know, I think, I just think this is just the way this year has been going 2020 in general, you know, as soon as we get something nice, it uh, turns out to be taken away from us immediately. So, you know, hopefully, um, you know, we can figure out the Marlins. And, and I mean, you know, if, if I'm a baseball team or if I'm a player in the league, like I, I think I'm pretty nervous to travel to Miami right now. I don't know. Are you? For sure. I, yeah. Like I said, I think uh, Florida has, has been proven to be an issue, uh, not only for the MLB or, or for sports, but, um, you know, just from a landscape of, of that looks like a hot spot to me. Um, so I, I definitely think that's a concern going forward. Uh, hopefully Orlando isn't impacted by, by any of the spread. Uh, obviously the NBA is, is basically stationed there in, in the bubble. So they might be a little bit better off, but, uh, yeah, it, it's just like you said, I mean, I hate to, to bring up anything negative and I, and I try not to, to think in a negative space, but, uh, it's just, it's really defeating when, you know, I, I was, Looking forward to another series starting, you know, watch at least, you know, seeing the result of, of what my team was going to do. And then, you know, it gets obstructed at noon today. So uh, three ga- three games completed into the season where they're having issues. And, and I don't know what, what the answer really is. And, and then you bring up an interesting point where where D.D. Gregorius uh, has the autoimmune disease. That That's a serious problem. I mean, I think right. – if he were to sit out the season, I don't, I wouldn't blame him whatsoever. That that's threatening your health at that point. It's, it's in a season where it's already obviously extremely modified and, and shortened. Uh, it's not like he's just voluntarily sitting out because of, you know, contract negotiations or something. I mean, that when someone's health's at risk, I think that's, uh, that's something that shouldn't be taken lightly. And, and that's an issue. And, and the MLB needs to realize that, you know, that obviously they don't have things under control. I, I can't expect them to, to run a perfect league under these circumstances, but, uh, you know, players' health needs to at least be on their on their agenda and, and it needs to be addressed because now it's already spreading throughout the league. Yeah, and it, it'll be something to monitor, as I said, in the coming week, and, and we'll see what the MLB's response is to this when we, when we drop another show this week. And, and maybe by the end of the week the Marlins are back playing and – you know, those players are able to either, you know, be away, be on the DL or, or whatever the 
that list is called now for, for 10 days, 14 days, whatever it may be. And maybe they're able to call up a bunch of guys from AAA and, and maybe they're back to playing baseball. So we'll see how it plays out. Uh, I don't think this is the last bout, I should say, with coronavirus that a team is going to endure this baseball season. You know, when you have 60 plus people traveling from city to city, it's sort of going to happen. And hopefully these players are smart and, and, uh, you know, stay inside the hotel or just stay in the ballpark when they're there and don't really have contact with the outside world. Uh, but I don't think that's going to be the case for every single personnel, every single staff member, every single player. But, you know, we'll see. But uh, I, I know we're only three or four games into the season. But, uh, Aaron, why don't you give us a little bit of a background on how the Orioles started out, maybe sprinkling some some things about their opponent. I know they were playing the Sox. So um, maybe give me a rundown on how that series turned out over the weekend. Yeah, sure. So uh, going into that series, uh, very low expectations going in just because uh, Orioles don't fare well, uh, especially in Boston. That's just usually a recipe for uh, a 10-run uh, loss or, or even more at, at times. Um, a couple of years ago, we were a lot more competitive. But uh, over the weekend, actually got two out of three, got the series win. Hey. Uh, started started out the season, uh, you know, getting ten runs, so that that didn't surprise me. It definitely uh, definitely hurt my soul a good bit seeing that they lost. I believe it was thirteen to two on floor, uh, on Friday, but uh, bounced back, which that's that's the you know that's what you got to do. And in baseball, especially, it's such a it's such a you know day-to-day game and such, you know, you, you got to find a way to, to put it behind you. So, uh, you know, first, first night out of the bat, uh, got our asses kicked, but then, then came back one game, two, seven to two, uh, you know, a couple home runs in that game and then uh, seven to four on, on Sunday. So the bats came alive in, in games two and three. Uh, don't, don't really know how good Boston's supposed to be this year. I, I don't think they're, what they used to be at least a couple of seasons ago. Um, so, you know, they, they might uh, make, make somewhat of a run towards the Yankees just because I never really count Boston out of things, but I don't really see that, that they're a threat by any means. So, you know, we'll, we'll take the wins when we can get them. Uh, to touch on the, just this region, I'll say, you know, never minded the Phillies as well. So I, I at least wanted to touch on their, their series real quick. Yeah. Uh, you know, absolutely shocked that they got you know taken two out of three uh games were taken by the marlins in that series um (laughs) for some reason i i just don't think the the phillies bullpen has any idea what they're doing from from what i was reading and and from what uh a fellow podcaster uh, a guy named sports talks with broads uh got a big philly fan big philly guy so you know I, i definitely checked out his coverage on the mlb to see what he had to say um, you know, just the dumpster fire from the from the bullpen in that series. So uh, Miami put up, I know, 11 runs on Sunday and beat the Phillies, you know, hey now. pretty pretty one-handed. So um, I guess Bryce Harper probably not too, too happy, especially the, the game being t- uh, postponed today and then obviously them losing two out of three. So I don't know what – their expectations are uh, this season. Obviously, their their lineup's pretty stacked. If you look at it, it's not it's not a bad lineup by any means. Uh, a couple, you know, you got Andrew McCutcheon, who's I would say probably past his prime at this point, but can still play a little bit. Uh, you got Bryce Harper. You got Reese Hoskins, who's uh, can hit the ball out of the ballpark. So their their lineup isn't bad, but their 
if you don't have pitching, you're not going to win many games. So I just want to touch on that real quick only because that is a local team to, to our region as well. So um, quite, quite surprising on, on both fronts, the Orioles getting two out of three and then the Phillies losing two out of three. I love the insight uh, from the resident baseball guy in the podcast. Uh, I'm a Yankees fan, um, for those of you who forgot. So we'll, we'll touch on the Yankees a little bit. We touched on their four to one win. Uh, absolute domination in six innings by Garrett Cole. Absolute domination from Anthony Fauci on the mound throughout the first pitch <laughs> on Thursday. Uh, they were off on Friday, but played um, Saturday and Sunday for a three-game set. They ended up losing on Saturday 9-2 to two, uh, to the Nationals again. James Paxson started. Uh, didn't really start off too well, and then uh, they just kind of pounded him out. And then uh, that's what she said. But uh, the bats weren't really flying <laughs> either as well. Um, they were better against Max Scherzer, which is weird. Um, I completely blank on who pitched for the Nationals on Saturday. But the bats weren't going, so um, I wasn't interested in the game. They ended up winning, coming back, uh, and, uh, you know, making a gritty comeback on Sunday, winning 3-2. to two. Gleyber Torres hit a home run um, to, to, get, to get them going. They were down 2-1 to one at that point, and then Luke Voigt hits a home run, um, gets them tied 2-2, two, two, and then uh, they did a point ahead late in the game. So they're 2-1 two and one, two and one right now. As we said before, they were supposed to play the Phillies today. Um, that got postponed the game tomorrow. Might get postponed as well. But if we're taking a look at the AL East, um, we got Tampa Bay Rays up 3-1. to one. They're in first place. Baltimore and the Yankees are tied at second place at 2-1. and one. Blue Jays are 2-2. Two and two. And then the Red Sox are in the basement at 1-3. and three. Uh, They just got uh, beat up by the Mets a few minutes ago, 7-4. to four. The game became final. So um, I know we're only three or four games in for, for a lot of the teams, and you can't really make um, or take stock of the league, I should say, um, in a proper fashion. But um, I think it is interesting that, you know, you, you touched on the Orioles were able to take a, a few games from the Sox there. And um, starting one and three in a 60-game season obviously is an ideal for the Sox, but I personally am loving every second of that. Um <laughs> If we take a look around the league, uh, we got Houston at three and one, Oakland A's at three and one. I don't love that because uh, I hate the Astros, but good for Oakland. Um, good for the folks playing Moneyball out there out west. Um, we got San Diego three and one somehow. Um, I keep forgetting Manny Machado's out there, but um, I'm sure you don't forget that since he did come from the Orioles. Yeah, that that one will forever hurt. Um... It was kind of funny though seeing him strike out in the world. You know, I was kind of on the on the fence. I, I do love Machado no matter what. I just I love watching him play. A lot of people think he's a douchebag, but I, I've always I guess because I I saw him get you know basically was brought up as a kid. I think he he came into the league at 19 or or 20 at the oldest. I I think yeah. he was brought up from AAA at 19 though. So, um, you know, I I do root for the guy, uh, but you know obviously chased the bag and got the bag in San Diego. Couldn't care less about the fans. And in Baltimore, as he walked out uh, on us, left us high and dry for sure, asked for a trade in midseason. So that's always going to, you know, rub me the wrong way and, and piss me off. But, you know, I don't wish him harm personally, but that, that one hurt. So, uh, yeah, I, I like your uh, analysis on the league there. Uh, I'm surprised Houston started out 3-1. and one. I actually think they started out 3-0, and oh, and then they dropped uh, a game – uh, after their first season or after the first series, I could be wrong about that, but I know they were two and zero to start. Uh, so no, nobody's gone undefeated in the sixty-game season. Everybody has now lost a game at least. Looking at it real quick, 
Uh, Mike Trout and the Angels once again off to a, a horrid start at one and three. <laughs> they just can't seem to win no matter you know what they do out there. Uh, just an organization that poor seems guy. to struggle. Yeah, poor guy. But at the same time, you know he's he's definitely got the bag secured, and he That's and he's true. playing in California, so it's it's not too too bad. Beautiful but, weather. Beautiful, beautiful bank weather. account. <laughs> yeah, he, he's he's living life, but uh. Yeah, just looking at a couple other teams, I mean, no surprise, Pittsburgh 1-2. and two, they, They've struggled the past couple of seasons. So uh, Washington lost again tonight, so they're 1-3. and three. That's interesting. Yeah, well, that, is, that is interesting. And it's it's looking like, I mean, if who knows how, how things are going to play out, but uh, the NL East is just a dumpster fire so far because the Marlins are, are leading the division and they're 2-1. Huh. Uh, so. No, no standouts there. Mets two and two. Braves two and two. Phillies one and two. And then the Nationals at at one and three. Um, yeah, just touching on uh, just a couple other you know teams here. I, I think you know I, I'd be happy to see the Athletics edge out the Astros. That would be cool to see. Shout out to my manager at work. He's a huge Texas Rangers fan. He's from Dallas. Uh, doesn't shut the hell up about the Rangers. Which hey, I don't what know. hey, what is what is he thinking about their new stadium? Looks like a warehouse. Yeah, he, he tends to like it. I, I haven't really seen pictures of it, though, just not to go off tangent, but uh, I, I have not seen uh, the layout of the of the Rangers. Looks theory. like an Amazon warehouse in the middle of Dallas. <laughs> All right, would you say you're not a fan? The inside looks cool, which I guess is, is all that matters, but if I'm an architectural design person sitting there drawing up the outside of the stadium, I think I could come up with something a little bit more appealing to the eye than uh, a warehouse type building, but I don't want to fire any shots at the people down in Dallas. No, you got every chance you get, you got to shoot, you got to shoot shots at them. They deserve every one of them. But, um, yeah, no, I'm looking at it here. You know, the Rangers are an organization that doesn't have any World Series, uh, so it's kind of interesting. Uh, they've been pretty competitive, I would say, the last you know, decade or so, you know, periodically, you know, they'll have a great season and they'll have an average season. I remember when, when Josh Hamilton was there, they, they made a couple deep playoff runs and, and things of that nature, but, um, you know, I, I'm looking at the stadium here, it kind of reminds me of their old one where it was just, it was just kind of weird, I don't know if, if other people feel that way, but it, it just, both the, the Rangers and the Astros, the Astros have a very strange stadium layout yeah. as well. I don't know, you know, the people designing these, I don't know if they're just going for abstract and things like that, but uh, yeah, I'm looking at it here. I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't say it's beautiful by any means. I think if you look at Target Field, uh, where the Twins play, that one's pretty cool as far as a, a modern day stadium, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what, what the Rangers were really going for other than you know, it just kind of looks plain to me, plain Jane. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, hey, can't win them all, I guess, if you're, uh, if you're the Texas Rangers. But uh, that's, uh, that's, it. that's it for tonight's show. Um, you know, went, went a little longer here because sports are back, which is a nice thing to, to be able to say. We hope the MLB can figure it out and remain back and, re- and remain in season. Um, we'll keep you updated on things that happen with Marlins and um, COVID-related stuff throughout. And the NBA and the NHL come back this week. So the NBA, obviously, those players moved in a couple weeks ago into the bubble. Um, the NHL just moved into their bubble, and their bubbles, I should say, in Toronto and Edmonton, um, respectively, the past weekend. So um, those sports are coming back, and, and by next week we'll have we'll have three sports to talk about.
Um, and then football training camp starts this week as well. So um, for the first time in this podcast history, uh, we'll finally be able to talk about the four major sports that are occurring all at the same time, which is very exciting and uh, very exciting for the content of this podcast. But uh, Aaron, why don't you take us home? Yeah, uh, just just going back to the point you made, I hope them will make it figure this out. I mean, they, they definitely played games tonight, and there's some games in progress now, so uh, I'm going to remain hopeful. And I'll uh, cross my fingers on that, and hope that all the other sports follow suit. And, uh, we'll continue to, to bring the coverage to you guys. Take some.